0: Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, November 27th. I'm your host, Mike Mehering. Thanks for tuning in. So it's Black Friday. Are you heading out to the mall, doing some shopping today? Maybe already back? I'm not. I have absolutely no intention of going out into that chaos. Although, I have to wonder, with all of the coronavirus stuff and the masks, how many people will just stay home? I mean, I've never been inclined to do the Black Friday shopping thing, although I know a lot of people it's like a big tradition. Uh, Never been for me. I don't like getting out in huge crowds to begin with, but... I can imagine that this year, even if I was inclined to do the Black Friday thing, I probably wouldn't be. Like I said, it's just a hassle going out. I find myself all the time thinking, oh, I'm going to go, eh, nah. I don't want to put on the mask and deal with all that stuff. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how this Black Friday plays out. I imagine it's going to be pretty good for online retailers. Maybe not so much for brick and mortar. Anyway, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday. I have to admit, I'm still stuffed from our meal yesterday, but uh, it was a good day. The holiday week was certainly eventful, or it has been so far. We hit full market mania. On Tuesday, the Dow closed over 30,000 for the first time ever. The Russell 2000 also set a record. NASDAQ and uh, S&P 500 were not quite in record territory, but were up. Now, profit takers pushed the Dow back down under 30,000 Wednesday, but futures are up again this morning. Now, the news that seems to be driving stocks higher is the expectation of a successful vaccine. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. You know, every Monday we've had more good vaccine news, and that's pushed these big market rallies. And, of course, this week we also got news that uh, the transition to a Biden White House is beginning, even though President Trump has yet to concede. I kind of wonder if he'll ever concede. He may just, like, move out. In January, but anyway, that seemed to ratchet down some of the political uncertainty a little bit. So we've got this huge surge in risk-on sentiment, and people were buying stocks, oils up. Now, on the flip side, weekly jobless claims came in at 778,000 last week. That was about 40,000 more than what was expected. It was also the third straight week that this number has increased. And, of course, a lot of places are locking down again because of the coronavirus. I was in Kentucky last weekend, and uh, they've shut down all indoor dining. And I saw a headline yesterday that California's actually shut down outdoor dining. And, you know, it boggles my mind that since all of this started back in March, we still really haven't seen weekly jobless claims below the record that was set during the financial crisis. So we've had week after week after week of uh, unemployment claims that are higher than what we saw at the very peak of the Great Recession. And it also boggles my mind that nobody seems to think that there could possibly be any long-term consequences to all of the economic carnage that had been caused by these lockdowns. There's still this persistent idea that somehow we're just gonna, you know, pop right back to normal. Everything's going to be great again. And of course, you know, I've I've talked ad nauseum about the fact that the economy wasn't great uh, even before the pandemic. It's certainly not going to get great all of a sudden just because we've got a vaccine. I mean, I've talked about the number of small business closures before on this show. Some 60% of the small businesses that shut down during the pandemic still haven't reopened. Uh, That's based on Yelp data. And according to a study by Brookings that was released back in September, more than 420,000 small businesses had closed their doors permanently since the beginning of the pandemic. That's like 7.1% of all small businesses in the United States. It's a significant contraction in the economy. But of course, we don't have to worry about any of that because we're going to have a coronavirus vaccine. And of course, we have the Fed, which, as I've been saying for months now, is really far more important to the markets at this point than any economic data and, quite frankly, more important than the vaccine. I mean, just look back over the last decade or so. The Fed has been the constant, right? It was kind of funny when the Dow cracked 30,000. Trump held what Maybe the shortest press conference in history. It was like a minute and a half long. Uh, He said, The stock market's just broken 30,000. Never been broken, that number. That's a sacred number, 30,000, and nobody thought they'd ever see it. Of course, he was basically taking credit for it. That's why he held this little press conference. But didn't he tell us that if Biden won, the market was going to crash? Oops. Remember after Trump beat Hillary Clinton, he took credit for the rise in the stock market right after the election, so before he even took office, saying that the markets were optimistic about his presidency. Remember that? He was going to make America great, and the markets were anticipating greatness. So if we're going with that reasoning, does it not follow that the markets now must be very excited about the economy because of a Biden presidency? Jeez, those words just sound weird coming out of my mouth. People excited about the economy because of Joe Biden. Look, that's not a thing. The reason the stock market went up after Trump won, and I'm talking big picture here, was the Fed. Just like the reason that the stock market went up during the last Obama term was because of the Fed. You know what people were really jazzed about this week? The prospect of former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen serving as the Treasury Secretary. I mean, she is the queen of monetary doves, right? I mean, how long did she leave rates at zero? Years? I think it's funny that Peter Schiff calls the Treasury Department the Department of Debt. And because he's absolutely right, there is no money in the Treasury, it's a big, safe full of IOUs. So, you know, Yellen's job will basically be to manage the debt, to figure out a way to sell more Treasuries in order to fund all of the federal government spending. Because I'm just going to take a wild guess here that uh, Biden isn't about to slow down Trump's spending rule. In fact, Yellen has been running around for a while now, begging for more government fiscal stimulus. So, you know, Yellen's perfect for this job because uh, they're going to have to sell an awful lot of debt to the Federal Reserve. And of course, you know, Yellen, having worked over there, she's buddy buddy with those people, which really should kind of erase this whole idea of an independent Fed. So, yeah. Who is going to buy even more American debt? Who is going to be stupid enough to buy all of these treasuries that are flooding the market? Yes, the Fed. I mean, the central bank is already backstopping all of this government borrowing and spending. In Q3, the Federal Reserve bought $240 billion in U.S. treasuries. That brought its total treasury holdings to $4.44 trillion. Get this the central bank now holds a record 16.5% of all of the U.S. debt load. In the last 12 months, the Fed has doubled its holding of treasuries, adding a staggering $2.4 trillion in U.S. government bonds to its balance sheet. Most of that has been just since March. The Fed's total share of U.S. debt has spiked from 9.3% in Q1 to that 16.5%. Now, get this. In March and April alone, the Fed bought $1.56 trillion worth of treasuries. During that same time, the U.S. Treasury issued $1.56 trillion in bonds. In other words, in effect, the Fed monetized 100% of the new federal debt that was accumulated in March and April. You know, of course, the Fed still claims that it's not monetizing debt, which is a bunch of B.S., The fact is, without the Fed soaking up trillions of dollars in treasuries, the glut of bonds on the market would crash the price and it would push interest rates up, something that the Federal Reserve cannot allow to happen. So the Fed monetizes the debt via quantitative easing, the central bank buys bonds on the open market with money created out of thin air. This creates artificial demand and pushes interest rates artificially low. This is what the Fed does. Without the Fed's intervention in the bond market, it would be virtually impossible for the U.S. government to borrow money at the current level. Interest rates would have to soar in order to entice average investors to buy U.S. treasuries. The market would collapse. So here we are. We have the Fed. The Fed is keeping this whole system afloat. And everybody knows the Fed is going to keep on doing the money printing. And that's why you have the Dow around 30,000 in the midst of a massive economic downturn. The crazy thing to me is that gold is struggling in this environment. We had another big sell off early in the week. The yellow metal is barely holding support at $1,800 an ounce. You know, people are so tunnel visioned on a vaccine and the hope of some normalcy coming down the pike that they aren't really paying attention to the tsunami of dollars that is coming down the pike. It's inflation on an unprecedented scale. But, Mike, there is no inflation. Are you kidding me? The Dow broke 30000 in the midst of a pandemic. Hell yes, there's inflation. Anyway, I've been harping on this for weeks. So I want to wrap this show up with more of a big picture take. So consider this. The primary response to effectively shutting down the economy was simply to create trillions of dollars in new money and hand it out. Voila, problem solved. Despite the fact that nobody was working, services weren't being provided, and products weren't being produced, everything was going to be okay because everybody still had plenty of dollars in their pockets. Now, to me, it seems self-evident that despite the government handing us $1,200 checks and making it possible for us to borrow trillions of dollars, we aren't really better off after being locked down for weeks on end. So, why do so many people buy money printing as a legitimate cure for economic woes? This monetary myth-making is rooted in a fundamental misunderstanding of money. Most people confuse money with wealth. Now, I can see why this happens. After all, most wealthy people have a lot of money, right? Money and wealth are often found together. But in reality, they are very different, now I'm pulling a lot of this here from an article by economist Bryce McBride that was uh, printed over at the Mises Institute. He does a really good job of differentiating between money and wealth. The key thing here, the takeaway, is money is not wealth. Now think about this for a minute. You might, you might be yelling at the uh, your podcaster right now, but just think. A dollar bill doesn't really have any use, right? I mean, I suppose you could burn it if you're cold, or you could use it to write notes to your kids. But in and of itself, physical fiat money doesn't have very much utility. Its only purpose is to facilitate the exchange of goods and services, real wealth. You could have hundreds of $100 bills, but if there are no products to buy, or if nobody is offering any services, the dollars are worthless. A healthy economy needs actual wealth, not just a big pile of money. Here's how McBride defines wealth. Useful goods and services, and perhaps more crucially, the productive resources needed to create useful goods and services are wealth. A loaf of bread is wealth, as are the farms, factories, and human labor and ingenuity that are needed to grow and process the crops necessary to produce it. On the other hand, money is a tool that effectively transforms one kind of wealth into another. McBride writes, for instance, your skills and ability to perform work are a form of wealth. So is the food you eat. The money paid to you in wages, which you in turn pass along to the grocery store, performs the simple yet crucial task of efficiently transforming your labor into food. So it's one kind of wealth into another. If you grasp these principles, it should become clear that having a lot of money isn't particularly helpful if there is no actual increase in wealth. Now, of course, there is always wealth. As McBride points out, our ability to work is a form of wealth, so we always have that. Tools, land, clothing, these are all forms of wealth. In fact, we're surrounded by wealth. But it should be clear that simply expanding the supply of money doesn't make us wealthier. In fact, it's harmful. Every dollar created by the central bank devalues the dollar in your hand. Money creation, inflation, means more money chasing the same amount of wealth. In the long run, that leads to rising prices. Nobody is really any better off. As things come back to equilibrium, you have more dollars, but it takes more dollars to acquire the same amount of goods and services you have if there was no corresponding increase in wealth. The bottom line is you're not wealthier. Now, I do have a caveat. I'm talking about fiat money here, real money. Gold and silver, they are a form of wealth. They actually have utility beyond their use as a medium of exchange. Gold and silver serve as money, but they are also commodities. You can make jewelry. You can use gold and silver in electronics. Both metals are useful in medicine. If you have gold or silver, you have money and you have wealth if you have dollar bills you just have money you just have the medium of exchange that could potentially be worth zero at some point in the future i can guarantee you this gold and silver will never be worth zero so stop confusing money and wealth they're two different things and we need to expand our wealth not just print dollars out of thin air so if you want to learn more about gold and silver and how it can help preserve your wealth while the value of your money erodes, I highly recommend talking to a shift gold precious metal specialist. You can do it today. Just call one gold 160 or you can shoot them an email at info at They'll be happy to get back to you, help you figure out how gold and silver can work in your investment portfolio for your personal needs. So that is a Black Friday Gold Wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com news. If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're on the YouTube channel, uh, Shift Gold YouTube channel. So all of those links on the show notes page. I hope you have a great Black Friday and a great weekend.